Our scripture text today is Ezra chapter 2. Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Seraiah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Banah. The number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Perosh, 2,172, the sons of Shephtai, 372, the sons of Arah, 775, the sons of Pahath Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2,812, the sons of Elam, 1,254, the sons of Zatu, 709, excuse me, 945, the sons of Zakai, 760, the sons of Bani, 642, the sons of Babai, 623, the sons of Asgad, 1,222, the sons of Adonakam, 666, the sons of Bigvi, 2,056, the sons of Adin, 454, the sons of Ater, namely Hezekiah, 98, the sons of Bezai, 323, the sons of Jorah, 112, the sons of Hashum, 223, the sons of Gibar, 95, the sons of Bethlehem, 123, the men of Netophah, 56, the men of Anatoth, 128, the sons of Osmaveth, 42, the sons of Kiriatharim, Kephariah, and Birot, 743, the sons of Ramah and Geba, 621, the men of Mikmas, 122, the men of Bethel and Ai, 223, the sons of Nebo, 52, the sons of Magbish, 156, the sons of the other Elam, 1,254, the sons of Harim, 320, the sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 725, the sons of Jericho, 345, the sons of Sana, 3,630, the priests, the sons of Jedidiah, of the house of Jeshua, 973, the sons of Emer, 1,052, the sons of Pashur, 1,247, the sons of Harim, 1,017, the Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Kadmiel, of the sons of Hodaviah, 74, the singers, the sons of Asaph, 128, the sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Ater, the sons of Talom, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shobai, in all, 139. The temple servants, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hasupa, the sons of Tabaot, the sons of Keros, the sons of Siha, the sons of Pedon, the sons of Lebanon, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hagab, the sons of Shamalai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Gahar, the sons of Rehai, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nekoda, the sons of Gazam, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Pesai, the sons of Besai, the sons of Azna, the sons of Munim, the sons of Nephisim, the sons of Bakbuk, the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Harhur, the sons of Basluth, the sons of Mehid, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Temah, the sons of Nezia, and the sons of Hatifa. The sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Hasopereth, the sons of Peruda, the sons of Jala, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Sheptaiti, 
the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pokerith Hazabaim, the sons of Ami. All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. The following were those who came up from Tel Malal, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adan, and Emer, though they could not prove that their father's houses or their descendant, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, and the sons of Nakoda, 652. Also of the sons of the priests, the sons of Habayah, the sons of Hakoz, and the sons of Barzillia, who had taken a wife from the daughters of Barzillia, the Gileadite, and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult Urim and Thummim. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there was 7,337. And they had 200 male and female singers. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels were 435, and their donkeys were 6,720. Some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord, that is in Jerusalem, made free will offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 1,000 priests' garments. Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns and all the rest of Israel in their towns. This is the word of the Lord. God, this morning as we come to sit under your word, uh, we acknowledge together that we believe that every single thing that you have said in the Bible is inspired by you. God, that you've given it for our profit. You've given it to make us men and women who know you, who love you, who worship you, and who walk in your ways. God, we ask this morning that you would um, draw our hearts to deeper levels of faith, open up our eyes to see who you are and to see who we are with more clarity because of your word. We humble ourselves before you and ask that you would speak to us today. You are our God, we are your people, and we open our hearts to you now. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen. Well, what a beautiful example that every single part of God's Word is awesome, is beautiful. And we're going to see this morning how Ezra chapter 2 applies to all of our lives, wherever we are in, in our lives. Ezra chapter 2 appears to be just a list of names that are very difficult to pronounce. Names, uh, names may seem unimportant unless you know the person that's being named, unless you, you know something about the person that's being named. And we're going to find ourselves there this morning. Um, we have memorials in our country that raise the value of uh, the names of people. For example, uh, you can go to Washington, D.C., and you can see the World War I Memorial, the World War II Memorial, the Vietnam War Memorial, and 
when you look at those names, every single one of those names represent someone who cared enough about you to give their life and sacrifice for you. Um, and those names are more than just uh, digits on a memorial. They actually represent the names of people. And that's what we see here in Ezra chapter 2. We see that a sacrificial investment was made by the names of those people. And by the way, I don't know about you, but I'm awed by the way Morgan read that passage this morning. I, I couldn't do that, and that's why we chose him, or he volunteered to do that this morning. <laughs> uh, a few years ago, when uh, Gail and I were just first married, we went home one Christmas to spend time with our family, and my mother sat down beside Gail and pulled out this book, and inside this book there was a uh, a family tree of her side of the family. And she was fascinated by that. In fact, that started uh, a process in her life where she has followed up with that and been really excited about genealogy ever since then. I asked my dad, on the other hand, I said, Dad, what about our side of the family? He said, Son, you don't want to go there. <laughs> I take him at his word there. Uh, so when, um, when, when, uh, when we move into the internet age which we're living now. Uh, there are all kinds of processes and programs out there to help you uh, trace your heritage, to trace your genealogy. Uh, family tree builders like MyHeritage and Ancestry DNA and Find My Past and One Great Family and Legacy Tree and Just Answer and Genes Reunited, on and on I could go naming different kinds of resources that are out there today to help us find our true identity, to help us find where we came from, and to discover, again, sometimes the bright side of our family, sometimes the not-so-bright side of our family. I recently heard about, heard about this uh, guy who got real excited because he found that a family relative of his had sailed from Ireland to the United States and actually fought in the Revolutionary War. Again, he was so proud uh, until he continued to follow that tree line. And he found that there was, there was another guy in his family named Daniel. And Daniel was challenged by the fact that uh, they were going to build a road through a favorite piece of the property that he owned. And so he went to the house of the foreman of that project and tried to dissuade the continuation of the project. And uh, the, the foreman of the project would not listen to his argument. So he pulled out his gun, and he shot the foreman, and so he spent the rest of his life in prison. I'm sure we all have things in our family history that we're very proud of, and maybe some other things that we are not so proud of. Well, the second chapter of Ezra which we heard read this morning, uh, rep represents the, the family tree of members of the captives who left exile in Babylon and came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Uh, Persian King Cyrus, we read about last week in Ezra chapter 1, uh, initiated that families go back who had come from uh, from Jerusalem, who had been captured from Jerusalem, to go back there and to rebuild the temple and 
reestablish the worship of the true and living God in Jerusalem. When we look back at genealogies, we see how people lived, and you can live in a number of different ways. One way you can live is to live for yourself. That view of life is that everything about my life is about me. Everything is centered around me. What's best for me is the point of view that you choose to live. Several of the captives who had been taken 70 years earlier from Jerusalem and taken captive to Babylon chose not to come back. In fact, the majority chose not to come back. Many of these probably had that kind of attitude about life. What's best for me? What's more comfortable for me? A second way to live is to live for others. Uh, people who live for others filter every decision they make by what's best for others. And this appears to be a better way of living than living for yourself. But I want to recommend this morning that there's even a better way to live. In fact, the best way to live. And Ezra chapter 2 uncovers that way to live. That way is serving together with other people in order to accomplish God's purpose for life. That is the best way to live. So Ezra chapter 2 demonstrates how we can choose to live for God's purpose. It's being restored by God in order to serve His purpose. So how do you do that? How do you live a life that's been restored by God to serve His purpose? Well, believe it or not, in this 70-verse chapter, we have the solution to that. So let's look at it. Three ways. First of all, we serve according to our gifts. We see in verses 1 through 63 how God takes the individual gifts of people, molds them together, in order to carry out his complete purpose. Verse 1 says, Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity. Of those exiles from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. So when these captives returned from exile and return to their homeland. They return to the, the land where their parents, their forefathers, their relatives had established and been taken from. I don't know about you, but I can just imagine how exciting these people must have been to be going back to the land where their relatives had talked so much about had celebrated so much about and had integrated into their life a pattern of living that had become a way of life for them. Um, when our kids were elementary age, we carried them back out to Texas where we spent three years of our life. We carried them out to the church where we had pastored way out in the, in the northwestern part of Texas 
sort of a deserted kind of area, but oil rich. In fact, uh, the, the oil industry was kind of at its height during that time. And it was so exciting to share stories with our kids about uh, how we had lived there and what we had experienced and let them experience a little bit, a little taste of what we had experienced. That is nothing compared, though, to these exiles. They were going back not just to visit where their parents had talked about. They, had go, they were going back to invest their lives in that place that uh, had been so valuable to their heritage and to their life. Um, 62 verses in Ezra name men and their families who used their gifts to reestablish the roots in Judah and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. It's very noteworthy, at least to me, that the leaders who returned back to Israel were at the very top of the list. Look at verse 2. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Realiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Baanah. So these were the leaders who led the way out of Babylon back to Jerusalem. A church like ours, any church as far as that goes, any organization, will only rise to the level of the leadership that God provides actually stepping up and leading. It's one thing to have leadership. We all have leadership. But it's another thing when leadership actually steps up and takes the lead and says, come follow me. Last week in chapter 1, remember I said that where God guides, God provides. That's not only true about resources, but it's also just as true or maybe even more true about leaders. Our church will only rise as high as the leadership that God provides steps up and leads. So as we expand the mission of our church this year, I want to challenge those who have leadership gifts to get involved, to step up and lead in making disciples who make disciples. How do you know when you're a leader? Well, somebody once said, well, you turn around and look and see if anybody's following. <laughs> if nobody's following, then you're not a leader. <laughs> you might think you are. You might have a title of a leader. But if nobody's following, then you're really not a leader. Leadership is expressed in three ways. Number one, it's expressed in actions. Number two, it's expressed in relationships. And number three, it's expressed in responsibilities. So if God has given you a gift like leadership, and as far as that goes, it's true about any gift that God gives, then use that gift to lead well and serve well. If we look at the lives of these men, we're going to see as we move through the rest of Ezra that these men actually led well, the end of verse 2 then through verse 35 gives a list of laymen 
Another way of expressing that would be the everyday workforce of this team. They, they had the uh, gift that God had given them and used that gift to serve God. They followed the leaders well. They carried out the mission successfully. And this principle is, again, more important today than ever. A life, a family, a church, a community, a state, a nation, and even an international impact rises and falls on leadership. Leadership is important. Every organization rises and falls on leadership. And the more skillful and effective the leadership is as an organization, the better that organization is going to fulfill its mission. So in a church, the spiritual gift of leadership is given to men and women who will help lead the church to carry out the mission that, that God gives us. So God has given us the gift of leadership to glorify himself. He's also given us the gift of leadership to use the gifts to carry out his mission. And that involves every single one, every single one of the members of this church. Not everyone has the same gift, and that's a good thing. If you look at these 70 verses in Ezra chapter 2, there's a variety of different gifted people that we're going to just briefly mention this morning. But God delivers different gifts to different people in order to carry out his mission. Verses 36 to 39, for example, list families of priests. Priest was a specific gift. Men who came from the line of Aaron, who led in worship. And today, according to Second Peter, excuse me, First Peter chapter two and verse nine, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, by receiving God's gift of salvation, you become a priest. That means that. You don't need a mediator between you and God. You can go directly to God. That means that you have the privilege as well as the responsibility to demonstrate to those around you who God is, what God is like. That's the privilege of a priest. You represent God to the world. In verse 40, following the priest, we see that Levites are mentioned here. Levites were also from the tribe of Aaron. Uh, but unlike the priest, they performed lesser duties, subordinate duties, that were associated not with necessarily public worship, but they helped assist public worship. Uh, the Levites served as musicians and gatekeepers and Guardians and temple officials and judges and craftsmen. It's interesting to me in verse 40, again, where not many Levites returned, only 74, as compared to the priests who returned. I think this is speculation on my part, just speculation. But I think that during the exile, 
these Levites could have become sidetracked like so many people have been sidetracked in the pandemic that we're going through right now. Former churchgoers who no longer are involved in church become preoccupied with other priorities that have replaced the worship of God in their life. That's why most of the Levites chose to stay back in Babylon and chose not to come back and return to, to rebuild the, the temple. Their preoccupation with other activities uh, distracted them from committing to the mission that God had for their life. In verse 41, then, we have singers listed. Singers were needed to provide music for worship. We're blessed with gifted musicians and singers in this church. And I'm, I never cease to be amazed at the leadership that God raises up in this area. This is a very important part of worship. It's a very vital part of worship. But worship is more than just singing. And the gift of singing is no more important, no more valuable to God's mission than all the other gifts that God gives. In verse 42, we have gatekeepers listed. The task of the gatekeeper was to protect the work of building the temple and then to protect the temple treasures and elements of worship like the furnishings, the flour, the wine, the oil, the incense, the spices that were used. These were very valuable parts of worship. And the gatekeepers were there to protect everything that involved the worship system. Then in verses 43 to 58, servants are listed there. Now this might sound like a menial task, the task of a servant. Servants were used to carry out the supplemental tasks that needed to take place in order for worship to be effective. And I think the principle here is that even though they were described as servants, their role was still uh, important, very important to the rebuilding of the temple and carrying out of worship in the temple. Then in verses 59 to 63, we have a list of those who could not prove their identity. Now I want to settle here for just a minute. Because their function was extremely limited. Um, they couldn't prove their identity, and so they were restricted from serving certain roles in the temple. To their credit, they had responded to the call. They had come back from Babylon to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. But they had to prove their identity before they were allowed to practice their gift. I hope you're aware that God always has, does now, and always will have very high standards for those who use the gifts that God gives to give glory to Him. God's standards and leading worship and doing ministry are very high. 
Last month, a, a pastor friend of mine shared with me that he had to ask his worship leader to step down from serving. The worship leader had had an affair, had moved in with the woman that he had the affair with, and when the pastor confronted him about it, before storming out of the room and never returning to the church again, he accused the pastor of being narrow-minded and short-sighted. I want to remind us that God's standard of morality is critically important. And here's the key. This former worship leader showed no signs of remorse and no signs of repentance. He had disqualified himself and he was blinded to the fact that he had disqualified himself. So here's my question. Can he be restored? Well, of course he can be restored. We're all guilty of sin. We're all guilty of sin. And God's standard leads us to repentance. And when we repent and turn away from our sin and receive God's forgiveness, then God gives us a new identity. These priests, for example, who had lost their identity to be restored, according to verse 63, the high priest used the Urim and the Thummim as a system of casting lots to determine whether they were legitimate or not. They needed divine guidance to establish the fact. Our identity today in being forgiven and restored comes by one thing and one thing alone. And that's accepting God's gift of salvation. That's what qualifies us to have a new identity. Identity is critical in serving God. And only in Jesus can we have the identity that welcomes us into the relationship with God and encourages us in serving God. So until God looks into the mirror of your life and my life and sees perfection, we're not qualified to serve. Now think about that for a minute. Until God looks into the mirror of your life and my life and sees perfection, we're not qualified to serve. There's only one way for that to happen. And that's saying yes to God's gift of salvation. And when you say yes to Jesus, you repent of your sin and turn away from your sin and make all of your life about serving and knowing Jesus, then God gives you a new DNA. And it only can come through the blood of Jesus. Trusting God's gift of salvation through Jesus gives you that new DNA, and when God looks at you, He sees perfection. He sees Jesus. I don't know about you, but 
That sounds like a good deal to me. How could you turn down an opportunity for God to bring you into his family, forgive you of your sin, and give you a whole new identity in Christ? He alone can cleanse us from our sin and give us that new identity. He alone can give us that perfect DNA. So is God calling you today to that kind of relationship with Him? If you've, if you've never come into relationship with Him, I pray that today will be the day when you say, God, give me a new life. Give me Jesus. Give me your new DNA that can only come through the blood of Jesus. And then after being restored by Him, after being given a new life by Him, you can serve according to the gift that He's given you with all integrity that brings glory to Him. There's a, there's a passage in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Here's what it says. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has given you a gift, and the purpose He's given that gift to you is to build up His body. Just like He gifted these men and women and families to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. God has given us a gift today to build up His body and to not just do ministry in the church, but also in the kingdom. Just like those exiles who returned to rebuild the temple, we can serve today according to our gifts. And I pray that we will be just as faithful as these families were in Ezra. Secondly, we see in verses 64 to 67 that we serve with what God provides. Verse 64 says, The whole assembly together was 42,360. Now, when we were hearing the passage read this morning, um, you saw numbers that were representative of each of the families. And, you know, numbers sometimes are, are very important. Uh, if you want to kind of get a perspective of 42,360, uh, some of you baseball freaks, the, the average Major League Baseball park in the United States today holds 42,672 people. So about the same number of people who fill up the average Major League Baseball park were the numbers of people who went back from Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. This gives you an idea. Um, then the servants and the animals listed have a message for us as well. I think the servants and the animals are listed there to show that these exiles who returned from Babylon were living a great life, a great lifestyle. They weren't paupers, they were blessed. They had fared well in Babylon. 
And the principle is this, no investment is minor in completing God's purpose. And, and all of creation was involved in God's mission. The horses, the donkeys, the camels, I mean, all of God's creation was involved in rebuilding the mission that God had set for the captives to do, to build. Now, God has, God has blessed us here at Palmetto Shores. Every way you look at this church, the history of this church, God has blessed us. I want to challenge us, though, to continue to make sure that we serve with all that God provides. We want to continue to use all of the gifts and talents that God has given us to serve Him for His glory. We want to continue to multiply homes for multiplying small groups in our church. One of the greatest um, anticipations of my week is when our small group gathers in our home every week. I just, I love the fellowship, the study that we do together, the life that we share together. I want to see that multiplied throughout this church. We want to multiply uh, facilitators for our small groups. Not just homes, but also facilitators to help lead these groups. We want to multiply volunteers for our, our newly structured kids' ministries here at our church. We want to multiply coaches who are willing to come alongside and, and, and coach other members who are willing to be coached. I mean, I just think about, I think about my ministry and I think about how much more effective my ministry might have been over the years. If I had had a coach come alongside of me and, and you know, walk with me in my discipleship journey with Christ. I never had that. I never had that when I was uh, exercising the gifts that God has given me in ministry. I would have loved it if a coach had come alongside and said, let's learn together, let's grow together in pastoring God's people. So I want to challenge you today to pray to sovereign God that He will reveal to you the gift that He's given you so that you can put your gift together with other gifts that God has put in this church to build toward accomplishing the mission that God has given us for Palmetto Shores Church. We serve according to our gifts. We serve with what God provides. And finally this morning... This passage teaches us that we serve with worship of God in mind. We see that in verses 68 through 70. Uh, some of these families, and this is astonishing to me. Some of these families gave free will offerings. Now, a free will offering is an offering that's over and above the tithe. It's not just what is required or expected. Over and above the tithe, I did the math the best that I could this week on these numbers of gold and silver and priestly garments. These families 
donated more than $30 million on today's scale to assist in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. Again, they were not required to do it. It was a free will offering. So it tells me that these exiles came not only to, to work and rebuild the temple, but they came to worship because a part of worship is giving. Worship is never complete without giving. These families gave what they could because they gave to what they cared about. And that's going to be true with every believer. We're going to give to what we care about. God's standard for giving is the tithe. It's 10% of our wealth. These families gave over and above the tithe. So giving a tenth of your earnings is a sign of your blessings. It's a sign that two things. Number one, you're being obedient to God. And number two, you're trusting God to take care of you. And so you are obedient in what you give to serve Him. Giving is a vital part of every worship experience. So reestablishing the temple was the key to restoring worship. And a vital part of worshiping God is not only serving, but also giving. It's not either or, it's both and. So we serve according to our gifts. We serve with what God provides. And we serve with the worship of God in mind. Verse 70 is key to apply into our life today. In fact, this is critical. Verse 70 reminds us that those who returned resettled in their homeland. Here's the principle. Serving God begins at home. With the family. I don't know how that strikes you, but when I think about the broader view of my family system, I'm a little bit convicted. In fact, I'm a lot convicted when it comes to serving my family. We serve where we're planted, and first of all, we're planted at home. Now, I know that our church supports missionaries around the world, and I'm thrilled. Thank you for being generous and supporting mission work at home and around the world. Do you know those who serve best on the foreign mission field are those who are already serving at home? They just take what they have established at home to another culture. Uh, this year, God willing, Luis plans to take another group to Spain to continue a ministry that we started a few years ago in, in Spain. The best missionaries are those who are just taking what you normally do at home to another culture. So where does it start? Well, it starts at home. So we serve according to our gifts. We serve with what God provides 
And we serve with the worship of God, which starts where we're planted, starts in the home. So how can we take these um, 70 verses, mostly names and numbers, and truly apply them to our life? Two things this morning. Number one, serve with our family. Serve with our family. Secondly, serve together to accomplish God's purpose. That starts by being a servant to our family, and then with our family, and then with our church family, and to the world. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, You're a royal priesthood. And so the challenge from Ezra chapter 2 and the challenge from God's word today is serve. Serve for the glory of God and for the mission of God. So once again, Ezra chapter 2 appears to be just a list of names that are difficult to pronounce. But I pray that You are joining me in listening to God's voice as he speaks from this passage. DNA matters. Who you are matters. And the joy of life comes through having the DNA of Jesus in your veins. The joy of life comes from serving to fulfill God's mission. It starts with relationship with Him, receiving His DNA, and then letting it spill out to everybody in your life. God, I thank You today that Your Word is true. And Your Word is powerful. Your Word does change our lives when we apply it to our life. I pray that in the next few minutes we will make decisions about what to do with this part of your word. God, I pray that you would continue to raise up members of this church who would take the gifts that you've given us And use our gifts to serve you. Through that, God, I pray that you'll be glorified. And that your mission will be accomplished through us. In Jesus' name now we continue to worship. Amen.